for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Worthy, fantastic worship, Debbie uh, and the team. I really enjoyed, almost soaked in. Who breaks the chaos? Who brings, you know, all the chaos is coming back into order. Even that thought just rejuvenates me. In fact, let's start with a funny story, uh, which I heard uh, on the web when uh, Ravi Zacharias was speaking. This was a story about a young ordinant who was, uh, you know, he wanted to get involved in the ministry, and the bishop had called him uh, to interview. And he says, Bishop says, son, can you tell me the parable of the Good Samaritan? And this is how he says, once there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked him. And he, as he went on, he didn't have the money, and he met the queen of Sheba. And she gave him thousand talents of gold and hundred changes of raiment. And he got into a chariot and drove furiously, and when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair caught on a limb of that tree, and he hung there many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, and he ate five thousand loaves and of bread and two fishes. One night, when he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and fell on the stony ground. But he got up and went on, and it began to rain, and it rained forty days and forty nights. And he hid himself in a cave, and he lived on locusts and wild honey. Then he went on till he met a servant who said, Come, take supper at my house. And he made an excuse and said, no, I won't have, a, have married a wife and I can't go. And the servant went out in the highways and the hedges and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came on down to Jericho. And when he got there, he looked up and saw old Queen Jezebel sitting down way up high in a window. And she laughed at him and he said, throw her down. And he said again, throw her down. And they threw her down, 70 times 7. And of the fragments they... That remained, they picked up 12 baskets full, besides women and children. And they said, blessed are the peacemakers, P-I-E-C-E. And whose wife do you think she'll be on that judgment day? What a messed up story. Very well recited, though. We all have stories, and stories are good to tell. And I would get surprised if in 10 years' time, if we go to an average church and we recite the same story, there would be such laughter. We need to know our scriptures. We need to know our scriptures. We need to know our Bible. And the last two weeks, we have been intensely trying to understand what does it mean by identity? Who am I? Richard brought about the whole distinction between whether man was a coincidence or created. And last week we heard Graham talking about the brokenness of a human being and how Jesus came to restore and our role in that whole paradigm. Today, in the coming 20, 25, 30 minutes, I want to explore with you what does it mean by identity, the new way of living Believing and just professing that we are Christians is not enough, if I say. Believing and just professing on a day-to-day basis that I know Jesus 
that is not enough. We need to get a bit more deeper. We need to understand that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord in every day of our life. Essentially, the process of salvation is getting transformed on a day-to-day basis. Uh, salvation is, you know, in the Bible you can look at salvation as three tenses. You can see salvation as a past tense, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It talks about that our salvation is already in some form decided. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being, who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we are also experiencing salvation on a day-to-day being. We'll come to that in, in a minute. And Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, we hear, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hallelujah. So God is continually working in each one of our lives. And salvation is a real and ongoing thing. You know, many times, because we are in this Western world and uh, most of our dealings are through contracts. We, if you buy a house, we take up a contract. And even if you see, marriages are becoming more of more, more and like a contract. But salvation is a covenant. It is other-oriented. We are looking for something where we are looking for the benefits of the other person. And God, when he sent Jesus, he was looking for that commitment from us. He is not looking for a contract because he saved us and therefore I need to do 10 things to be part of the church, to be part of his kingdom. No, he saved us because he just loved us and he wants to dwell with us. He wants to have communion with us and that is what is covenant. It is other oriented and because he loved us and therefore we, we would look at him in the same fashion. Kenneth Boer, he says, we cannot consistently behave in the ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. We cannot consistently behave in in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. We need to be sure what we believe. It is not enough to just profess that Jesus is my Savior, I know Jesus. But we need to embrace that reality in our hearts. The question is, who are you? Who am I? Who are we? Why do I behave in a certain way? Everyone searches for clear identity. We long to possess that strong sense of who we are. And we crave to be known for something. Some find that identity in their career. Working 80 to 100 hours for a job. I used to do that. I continue to do that sometimes. And I'll tell my story a little bit later. It is not because you cannot finish that job that is assigned to you. But it becomes your identity. It becomes a place where you, you want to be. Without that, you're, you're not, your adrenaline is not, not pumping enough. That's, your, that's, that's, that's the way you, you get prepared for the daily grind. It, it somehow provides a feeling of accomplishment as well. Others find their identity in relationships. Sometimes staying with him violates her very conscious, but she cannot let her go, let him go. Because that's where her friends and families see her as having some kind of relationship. 
Her identity may be wrapped in that relationship. Some find their identity in their possessions, a new car. And the way you drive and stop at the traffic, and if somebody looks at you, you may think he's looking at me, but, you know, or to my car. And the way that you reflect that in your mind is about your identity, how you carry the keychain and the emblem of, you know, whatever brand it is. That becomes your identity. Some find their identity in their hobbies. Forgive me. I know many are followers of different leagues and cups. But is that your identity? While careers, relationships, possessions, and hobbies may pass away, but his words will not pass away. His purposes for you and me will not pass away. He breathed life into us. That will not pass away. If our identity is in all these outward things, we'll still feel empty in ourselves. We need to fill our lives with him. So we have a choice. We can bounce from one relationship to other ones. We can uh, move from one position to others. Or we embrace God's invitation to lose our lives completely to find our identity in him. Mark chapter 8, verse 35 to 36 says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and forfeit his own soul. God invites each one of us today to this incredible identity, to find ourselves in him. And only in him we can be truly made whole. Only in him. The invitation is not just to become uh, a churchgoer, but the invitation is to become a follower of Christ so that you can be constantly changed and you can enter in that relationship with a new identity. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Your old life, your old identity is dead. The moment you are in Christ, we have to understand that our old identity is dead. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. To move forward beyond our spiritual adolescence, we must understand who we really are in Christ. What is our position? If we have not yet discovered that, it's time to rediscover who we are in him. You know, I I used to travel a lot uh, to many countries, and at times uh, you're placed, uh, you know, because your office is in the downtown, you're placed pretty close to the downtown, but then your clients are spread all over the city or even outskirts of the city. And when, you know, when in the initial few days, you, you're always uh, you know, in, in the office, so you know the route. And I'm talking about regions where they don't speak English, and, uh, and I don't speak any other language apart from, you know, in the Western world and, and the Latin American side. Uh, so it is, it is really difficult. I, I don't speak Spanish or Portuguese. It, it was really difficult for me to initially manage the local transport. And uh, there are times when you have gone to a client and you don't know how to really communicate back to the hotel. The easiest way would be to... St- tell the downtown, which everyone, every local driver would know. 
And I would, instead of understanding the complete map, I would drive him back to the, you know, the, the office place and then walk back to my hotel. And this happened you know, three or four times, and I almost got frustrated one day that why can't I read the map? Why can't I have, you know, plan it properly? And it, it, it's somewhat, somewhat similar that you know, when you go, to the, go through your daily grind of life, the daily routine, you almost feel you are stuck somewhere. Have you felt that in life? The church going, the spiritual atmosphere that you are kind of become a routine. Uh, you know, you are involved in worship, you are involved in church activities, ministries, and you can still feel stuck somewhere. Knowing where you are is very critical. At the same time, knowing who you are is more than critical. It is time to take a closer look for who, you, who we are. If by any chance our story has been tainted like the ordinance, then we should examine. It's time for, for us to examine. And Bible gives a phenomenal imagery about who we are in Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is important that you and me interact with God with that firm recognition of that understanding that you are a child of God, a chosen people. You are the priest so that you can approach his throne of grace anytime, any moment. You are his bride and therefore you are holy, blameless, spotless. You are his servant, therefore you belong to God. You are his friend. You are the God's friend, people of God. You are an alien in this world. That means you have a hope that one day I will meet him face to face. You are an ambassador that you and me should declare his kingdom. As we understand who we are, enabled by God to live the reality of identity, we're able to move forward in the journey with Christ. Embracing and understanding our identity in Christ impacts how we live. It liberates us from performance-based Christianity. We We need not perform at all. Once we know who we are in Christ, there is absolutely no need to perform. You know, I don't know if you have seen that movie called Memento. A similar movie was also made in Bollywood. And this, in this movie, uh, the key, key person is Leonard Shelby, who tries to track down his wife's killer. And complicating the search is the fact that as a result of a blow on his head, by the murderer, Leonard suffers from anterograde amnesia. That means a condition where he can only remember uh, in a few minutes uh, of what, he can, you know, what, what comes into being. His memory is very short-lived, whereas he could remember what has happened before uh, you know, the, the blow he had on his head. And to cope with his amnesia, he had created a complicated system uh, of notes. He would, you know, had Polaroid photos, tattoos, and, and, and different ways to remember the facts so that he can uh, pick out evidences to, 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 to exact his revenge. Unfortunately, several shady characters tried to manipulate because he, he was not able to remember uh, you know, what is happening. And they would tell him lies about his past. They would tell him uh, in a different intentions uh, to, to, to manipulate him. And, and the whole movie toys around the concepts of identity and truth. And as the movie progresses, 
you, know, you would almost see that there is a doubt cast whether Leonard is the one that has been portrayed even. He almost starts questioning. Uh, uh, you know, in one of the scenes, his, one of his friends says, uh, who, who, who are you? You don't know who you are. And Leonard says, no, I am Leonard Shelby. I'm from San Francisco. But his, his friend says, uh, Teddy says to him that, no, 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 you were Leonard Shelby. You are something else now. Better investigate. At times, we are also similar to Leonard. Our conditions are very similar to him. We continually forget who we are. We kind of place our identity in pretty much anything else. The question is really far-reaching. It is identity-forming. Unfortunately, the culture that we are in is all about self-image, self-esteem. We're almost not able to distinguish between the who, the who we are, and the do. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you and me may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is, the idea is that we would understand fully God's will, that who we are, and from there emanates what we do. God's will is primarily not about what we do but who we are. God's will is first and foremost that we would be the people who know who we are in Christ. The people with whom he is in constant communion. People with whom he builds a solidarity. People with whom he engages into that one flesh relationship. Whatever will he has for our behavior, our decision is an outcome of who we are. God's primary love is about you. About who? And not the do. In the person of the who, and not what we do. There's a poem that, if it is on screen, it's a Dr. Seuss style poem, which I really liked. And I thought it, it, it would be good for us to read. How do you do, asked the Lord of Betty Lou. Not all that well. Betty sighed with boo-hoo. For I know you are a Lord who pays heed to what I do, yet I always let you down. When I sin, it's nothing new. Said the Lord to Betty Lou, I have a word for you. My love for you, my child, is not based on what you do. It's who and not the do that I adore in Betty Lou. And when your who believe, believes it is true, then my will shall miss Lou do. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And his primary will is about our who and not our do. And as we get down to the who, the do follows. And he wants us to fill us with that knowledge on a day-to-day -day basis, on a moment-by-moment. -moment. Every part of our inner being, innermost being, the nooks and crannies, every areas of our life, he wants to fill us with the knowledge of his will. You know, it seems to me that most of the contemporary Christianity, not just in the Western world, also in the regions around the world, that we almost reversed it. We are more often about the do's. We have a list of do's when we enter in the church, enter into in that community. We think we will do our way into the who. Unfortunately, it's not. We can always who our way into the do, 
not do our ways into the who. It's like the cart before the horse. We need to move away from the do-centered Christianity, do-centered theology. It sometimes seems that God has so much loved the world that he needed some workers like you and me to participate in his kingdom. And therefore he sent his son Jesus. Of course, he has sent his son Jesus so that we can participate. It's a privilege to be, to be part of his kingdom and to join hands with him. But that's not the centrality of his message, his love for us. It's all about you. That's why he came. That's why he left everything. 99% of the books that are available on the will of God, you will find it's all about the tips, how to do this, how we can make it happen, how I would know his will. I pray this morning that even as we drive back home, we will understand that it is not about the do. It's about who we are in Christ. Our identity in him defines how we live on a day-to-day basis. Jesus did not die for you and me that we become a good worship leader, an elder, or janitor, or a Sunday school teacher, or what not. Come give tithe regularly, come on Sundays on a regular basis, attend every house group. No. That's all part of that which emanates from who you are. It is not because how you and me would be useful in his, in his kingdom that he sent Jesus. No. It's because he loves you. In Ephesians, as you will explore, you will find that it's not about how useful we are. The gospel is all about how much God loves you. Becca read that phenomenal verse today. The who of you, Jesus died for you because God loves you apart from any doing. In, in fact, in spite, despite anything that you and me will do, still he loves you. We don't need to do anything. He has seen you as the apple of his eye. He has seen as the greatest possession that he can have, the treasured possession. Praise God. Even if we are unknown, damaged, you know, everything, broken, chaos, full of chaos, still he loves you. He loves you with everlasting love. He ravishes after you and me. He loves to commune, abide with us. And you know, his intensity is to have that one flesh relationship, a solidarity with you and me. And I believe that the center of Christian life and most fundamental aspect of the discipleship is not about doing anything in particular, but resting in him, abiding in him. He in us and I in him. That's what he is expecting of us. And it is important that if we have not done it yet, it's time to step back. Back off and see that, Lord, I surrender everything. I just want to be with you. And allow the Spirit to work with your spirit in so much that he is able to show a light into your spirit. All those crowded areas, the clouded areas would be rescued and taken off. That no more you are in control, but he is in control. People know, you know, those who are deeply loved would know that how that love permeates into every areas of their being. The center is who? We see Christians at times get geared. We are all passionate people. We want to do greater ministries. We want to, you know, do, get involved in everything because we, we are passionate people. And that's good. God has built us with that passion. But if we are continuing with that brokenness without having explored our identity with him, 
then all that brokenness can further break us. And whatever we do, we'll end up, you know, it will end up in chaos. And we will blame others, we will blame ourselves, we will blame everyone. There would be false humility, judgmental sort of atmosphere. It can become a bit dirty. But allow him to fix things. It is important that we allow him to fix things. It is important that we allow our spirit to get completely subjected to him. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. In fact, I have read this verse many times, but have never seen this verse in this light. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inmost parts of our being. It says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inmost parts of the being. When we come to the Lord, when we accept him, our spirit gets subjected to him. Our spirit is yielded to him so that we are part of his kingdom and in a kind of a dome and we are his subjects. That, that, that is surrendered life. But there is, and, and, and you know, Jesus' DNA runs through our life. So we, we know that our spirit is subjected to him. But you know, the, the, the part between our, you know, between our ears, this mind, needs to be constantly engaged into the redemption as well. And that the redemptive power continues. It continues. And that is a suke, the soulical life. And unless we allow our spirit, which is like a lamp, working with the Holy Spirit, searching all the darkened areas, the areas that are not yet lightened, all those corridors which we have not visited, so it is like a lamp working with the Holy Spirit on an exploratory journey, finding out all those areas and places that we have not visited and, exploring and, and, and exposing it to us and allowing us to yield it back to the Lord. We are yielding all of our being. When we accepted Christ, our spirit yielded, but now the spirit is helping us to yield us completely onto him. And the lamp is us and and we and the Lord together are working. Amazing journey. And he has not left us alone. That's what it, it, the most interesting fact is. The Holy Spirit said he is counselor. He is comforter. He is constantly working with us. Praise God. Personal testimony. You know, I, I, last 15 years has been an amazing journey for me. Lord of learnings. Grew up in a middle class family. Uh, and there was always a thrust for excellence at home. We didn't have many things in life, but we worked hard. So we worked hard uh, in studies. Uh, praise God that God enabled us to go through good schools and good institutions came out very well. Uh, success was defined in the way in which the world would look at success. You need to have good education, good uh, you know, jobs, and over the years, corporate life was becoming the mantra for me. A decade plus or so, I was, you know, uh, Vijay would know that I've gone like pretty fast up the ladder. But every time, there was some chucker blocker. And God has been reminding me that this is not your identity, but I would not listen. I, I was not sensitive to him. I said, Lord, you have prophesied. I, I would taint it with you know, the words which I've heard over the years. Oh, that you would be successful, you would be this and that, you would go to different countries, you would do this. So those were 
a kind of tainted identities which I was experiencing with my corporate. And two years ago, it almost fell down on me. And it was a journey to understand that, that you know, my identity is not in something that is externally focused. My identity is in Christ, and I have to realize on the inside. You know, we, we are built in a way that we are much more externally focused. We, we, we see things, we hear things, and we form our ideas based on what we see and hear. So I had to let go. Last six months were one of my toughest months of my life, where I had to let go and say, Lord, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want, Lord. I'm happy to work in a corporate. I'm happy to work in a 10-member team as well. And God started working. I'm still a work in progress. In fact, tomorrow I'm joining a company, a smaller company, which is probably you know, less than 100. I never worked for such a smaller company. But I, I'm going with a peace that passes all understanding, believing that this is God's way of teaching me, God's way of revealing his identity in and through my life. It is also a risk at times to trust in the Lord. Our identity impacts our living. If we know our identity, we would know how we have to live. In fact, I'm sure many would have seen that movie called Freedom Writers. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's written by Erin Gruwell, is the character that is played uh, by Hilary Swank. And she is a young teacher. In fact, for the first time, she's uh, come into the teaching world, and she takes up this freshman uh, students for the English class. And uh, when she joins, uh, the, the headmaster and other colleagues say, you know, you are on a tough journey. These kids will not stay here for long. They will just drop out. They are street kids, thugs. They, their identity is on the streets. And Erin could not, Hillary could not take that forward. She, she would, she would not, she would, all their predictions, she wanted to just sway it aside. And she worked with these kids. She built into them you know, what they actually are. And even as she worked through you know, innovative ways to educate them, they would, initially they would not even attend their classes, but slowly she started working with them, and their grades improved, and they felt that they are somebody. They're not just street kids, but they are somebody who can write, read. And eventually, they all become writers. And that book is what was turned into a movie, Freedom Writers. If you have time, you should definitely see. And, and the interesting quote which really punched on me was when she was talking to one of these lads who uh, she was working with, and he was a bit, um, you know, ten, he had a tension between what he should do, whether he should go back to the streets or whether he should continue. And she was encouraging. And she says, I see you. I see who you are. I see you. I see who you are. So she, she was trying to infuse into him his real essence, a real essence of who he was. Our understanding of our identity impacts how we live each day. We live out a life. We believe we are. We cannot, we, can, we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. So we heard a lot about the who quickly. I'm not, you know, 
disregarding the do. The do in our life has to be applied. The same principles have to be applied for the do as well. We cannot differentiate the do and the who. As we realize who we are, out of it will emanate the do. So it is developing an awareness of what is inside of us. You know, I I hear people talking about, oh, there's a nudge, there's a sensing. There are a lot of people who have that. Oh, yes, that's what God is telling me. And there there are other folks who use it uh, as a way to understand whether God is telling anything or not. Because we are in a society where we are, as I mentioned earlier, that we are externally oriented. So we look at, okay, if, if the traffic was heavy, what is that God is telling me? If I didn't get a parking, what is that God telling me? If, it is, um, if, if I didn't, didn't get a job, what is that God telling me? Our focus is externally oriented. I'm not say, saying that God will not speak to us externally, but God speaks to us on the inside of our heart. We have to sense those nudges inside of our heart, in that still moment. But if our hearts are crowded with the other things of this world, we will not have space for the spirit to have communion with our spirit. We will not hear. So three impacts, three major implications. The first one, pay attention. We need to pay attention. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, No one serving as a soldier would get involved in civilian affairs. Rather, they try to please the commanding officer. Here Paul is talking to a, a Roman soldier in a Jewish land. And Romans, wherever they went, they would capture the city and they would put soldiers to either take care of the taxes, that people pay taxes, there would be no riots, there would be no confusion, everything is in order. And he's talking to that soldier saying that you don't get involved into Jewish affairs, into the local politics. No. You be, be connected to your commander. Have your walkie-talkie always switched on. Don't get connected to you know, who is going to be the next president or, or, or the next leader of the Jewish community. So we need to have a constant communion with God. And this can happen only if we pay attention. We have our identity from him for free. Our identity is not charged. But as we participate in his kingdom, we join hands with him. We have to, if we think we have to get involved in a productive way, we need to pay attention to hear what God is exactly talking to us. There could be no's, there could be yes. But if we don't, then there is a problem. So much so that at times, you know, I'm not saying that you should not get involved in your shopping and going to the school runs and your jobs, no. But we should have enough space in our spirit so that the Holy Spirit can communicate with us. We should not cloud ourselves with the external things. So paying attention is important. If, I, if there was a time, I would have given an instruction here. But anyway, next is embrace uncertainty. See, I'm a person who would want to always analyze, dissect, before a, whether it's a prophecy or whether it is a word, or whether it is a nudge inside my spirit. Always it's a confusion. There are certain people here 
It's very clear for them. They come up. Oh, this is what God has said. They're so bold. Embracing uncertainty is in a way that if God nudges you, just go ahead and do it. Even if it is not a specific will, if it is out of love, it falls in the general will of God. Because your intention is good. You want to bless somebody. You want to edify the church. You want to edify the body. You want to show your love flowing into the, king, into the world. That is still in the general will. It is better to, to you know, do something and say that it is, in, it is in his general will than not to do and say that it was a specific will and, will and I completely missed it. Embracing uncertainty, taking risk on a day-to-day basis is very important, dear brothers and sisters. And finally, we should live in the light of our identity. The first and foremost one is of our newness. We are his creations as we read before. Identity is defined as the collective aspect of the set of characteristics by which a thing is definitely recognizable or known. It is a characteristic by which we can be recognized. Now, either if we are a Christian, we will be recognized as Christian. If we are in the world, we will be recognized as they are. So identity is a characteristic, set of characteristics, which defines you and me in how we are recognizable. It's also a quality or condition which is the same as something else. We are supposed to be followers of Christ. We bear his image on a day-to-day basis. And if we have that quality or that condition of Jesus Christ, that makes us followers of Christ. That's our identity. In our identity in Christ, we are no longer slaves of sin. And there are a number of verses. We are family of God. We have the grace. And we are constantly supported by God from one, way, one place to another place. He's transforming us daily. He is leading us through that spiritual journey into maturity. I will stop here, brothers and sisters. It's time that we understand who we are. It is not about the do. It is about who you are. He loves each one of us passionately. He is just interested in us. Sometimes it may look so selfish, but he is interested in us. There is no one who is left out. All of us are unique individuals, but he loves us. We are his creation. Let us glorify him as the worship team comes up. Let us take this opportunity to thank God for who he is and who we are in Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah.